Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 199 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. Now that we're just one episode away from our 200th episode, it's Simon's Building here at GDPR Towers because we have a very exciting guest joining us next week for episode 200, who we're confident you will not want to miss. He is a well-known speaker on the international stage, and we very much look forward to welcoming him to the GDPR Weekly Show for episode 200, which will be exclusively given over to our interview. So who is this mystery person, you might ask? Well, you'll just have to tune in next week for episode 200 of the GDPR Weekly Show to find out. So, coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the ICO has not been disclosing penalties against public bodies. We then travel to the USA and to Massachusetts, where Tomstar Ambulance has had a data breach. And then remaining in the USA, we have news that the trial of the Capital One hacker has begun. For those who are regular listeners to the Weekly Show, you'll know that Capital One suffered a major data breach back in 2020, and the hacker responsible for that breach, or alleged to be responsible for that breach, is now standing trial in the US. We then travel to Boston in Massachusetts, where Shields Healthcare Group has had a data breach. And we then have news of two further data breaches at healthcare organisations in the USA, one at ASTO Health and one at Aon PLC. We then travel to Alberta in Canada, where Ian Martin Group Recruitment Agency has had a data breach. And then staying with recruitment, but this time moving to New York. We have news that Pyramid Consulting Group have had a data breach. Remaining in New York, OnDeck have had a data breach. And we then travel to Turkey, where Pegasus Airlines have had a data breach. We then return to the USA, but this time to Louisville and Kentucky, where private client services have had a data breach. We then travel to France, where CNIL has fined dataless biology for various breaches of GDPR, and in so doing, have made some interesting rulings which will have wider ramifications. And then finally this week, we have answers from the EU Commission on some questions which have arisen widely across Europe about use of the standard contractual clauses. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. We begin this week with news that a Freedom of Information request served on the Information Commissioner has released information that a number of public bodies have been subject to penalties from the Information Commissioner, which they've not previously made public. This is despite the ICO's official line that it publicises all penalties under GDPR. We will be following this up with the ICO in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show to establish quite why some of these penalties have not previously been disclosed. But the penalties in question apply to organisations including Sheffield City Council, Hampshire Constabulary, the Metropolitan Police Service, North Yorkshire Police, Surrey Police, the United Kingdom Independence Party, UKIP, the Cabinet Office, the Government Digital Service, the Welsh Language Commissioner, NHS National Services Scotland, the Scottish Government, the Chief Constable of North Yorkshire Police, Epsom and St Helier University Hospitals NHS Trust, North Yorkshire County Council, a second penalty against Epsom and St Helier University Hospitals NHS Trust, and the Crown Prosecution Service. At the moment, that is all we know, but as I say, we are following that up with the ICO, 
and hope to be able to bring you details of those penalties in upcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To America now and to Rowley in Massachusetts, where Comstar Ambulance Billing Service has had a data breach. Comstar says that on around March the 26th, 2022, the company detected suspicious activity across its computer servers. In response, Comstar launched an investigation into the incident with the assistance of cybersecurity professionals. On April the 21st, 2022, this investigation confirmed that an unauthorized party gained access to the company's servers. However, Comstar was unable to determine which data was actually viewed or if any data had been retained by the unauthorized user. Upon discovering that sensitive consumer data was accessible to an unauthorized party, Comstar then engaged in a review of all affected files to determine exactly what information had been compromised. While the breach information varies depending on the individual, it may include name, date of birth, driver's license number, social security number, and financial account information. On May 23rd, 2022, Comstar mailed out notice of data breach status to all individual information was compromised as a result of the incident. It's believed that as many as 69,005 people may have been affected. If we have any further information from Tomstar, we will of course bring to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episodes 53 and 97 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought in news of a massive data breach at Capital One, a credit charge company in America. Well, this week, the trial has begun of a former Amazon software engineer who allegedly stole the personal data of more than 100 million credit card customers from Capital One. She claims that she was trying to expose vulnerabilities to one's nine systems. Paige Thompson, 36, of Seattle, is accused of hacking into Capital One's stored data and downloading private including bank accounts and social security numbers from customers' credit card applications. She allegedly violated the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, an anti-hacking law that forbids acts of computer utilization. However, her defence attorneys argue that her actions were that of a novice white hacker who was scanning the online interface for vulnerabilities and exploring what exposed. Critics of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act allegedly loose law allows for protection for hackers who find vulnerabilities in systems. Thompson, whose trial began in Washington State on Tuesday, faces 10 counts of computer fraud, wire fraud and identity theft. She has pleaded not guilty of the charges and, if convicted, could be sentenced to up to 30 years in prison. Analysts predict that Thompson's trial will heavily scrutinise the methods she used to hack Capital One and her plans for stolen data. Prosecutors claim that Thompson intended to use the stolen information to conduct identity theft. They also allege she took advantage of her access to corporate servers in a scheme to mine cryptocurrency. Thompson's lawyers have argued that her discovery of the flaws in Capital One's data storage system were part of a good-faith research. They claim a hacking method reflected the same practices used by legitimate security researchers and for under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act statute that protects those who find vulnerabilities in systems. They are interpreting a statute so broadly that it captures conduct that is innocent and as a society we should be supporting, which is security researchers going out on the internet and trying to make it safer, her attorney Brian Klein told the New York Times. He also argues that current law doesn't give a lot of visibility to people on what could get you into trouble and what couldn't get into trouble. However, the Justice Department alleges that Thompson had no interest in helping the bank improve its security and therefore should not be considered a white hacker. The department cited instances of her apparently bragging about the theft online and chats in which she allegedly detailed how she'd been able to profit from the breach. Even if her actions could be broadly characterised as research, she did not act in good faith, Nicholas W. Brown, the US Attorney for the Western of Washington, stated. 
She was motivated both to make money and to gain notoriety in the hacking community and beyond. Mohammed Ali Hamoudi, another member of her defence team, hit back saying the snapshot admitted by the government of an incomplete and inaccurate portrayal of a life more fairly described as one of survival and resilience. He also noted how his client had sought mental health treatment, demonstrating a resolve to confront her problems. The FBI launched an investigation into Thompson in 2019 after Chapter 1 learned it was the subject of one of the largest data breaches in US history. According to a criminal complaint, Thompson intentionally accessed the data somewhere between March and July 2019, breaking into the bank servers through a misconfiguration in its firewall. Thompson obtained personal data from the banking platform's online system, including 140,000 social security numbers and 80,000 bank account numbers. Investigators alleged she then saved the downloaded information, created an archive of the stolen data and stored it on Amazon's web services cloud. Amazon at the time is it was not to blame for the hack, and argued Thompson exploited the Chapter 1 systems to access. Chapter 1 admitted it was the fault in the infrastructure and not Amazon's, which led to the breach. After allegedly stealing the data, Thompson left authorities a trail of breadcrumbs posting online about the hack, same maps that fellow hackers expressed concern. Her online postings about the hack were reported to Chapter 1 in July 2019 by a white hat hacker. The informant sent an anonymous email to the bank claiming to have read about the hack on GitHub. The email contained a link whose address included Thompson's full name, Paige Adele Thompson. Authorities say they then became convinced that Thompson was the owner of the GitHub page. The page also included a number of server list IP addresses that matched the same addresses used by the hacker who broke into one. Thompson was arrested in late July 2019. As we previously mentioned on the GDPR Wiki show in August 2020, Capital One Financial Corporation was fined 80 million US dollars by a top banking regulator in connection with data breach. Federal regulators alleged that the bank had lacked the security protocols needed to protect Thomas' data. Last December, Chapter 1 settled a class action lawsuit by agreeing to pay 190 million US dollars to customers whose data had been exposed during the breach. When we have more news of this trial, or indeed a verdict, then we will of course bring it to you in the next episode of the show. To Boston in Massachusetts now, and Shields Healthcare Group, which provides imaging and ambulatory surgical services at dozens of locations, has said in a notice on its website that data including names, social security numbers, dates of birth and medical or treatment details is among information that may have been compromised in a data breach. The breach has been reported to federal law enforcement and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights. That agency reported on its website that 2 million people were affected. An FBI spokesperson said the agency had no comment to make at the moment. Shields said it was alerted to suspicious activity that may have involved data compromise on March the 28th this year and immediately started investigating. This investigation determined that an unknown actor gained access to certain Shield systems from March the 7th, 2022 to March the 21st, 2022, the company said. Furthermore, the investigation revealed that certain data was acquired by the unknown actor within that time frame. There is no evidence to indicate that any of the compromised information has been used to identity theft or fraud, Shields said in a statement on Wednesday. Shields states the confidentiality, privacy and security of information are care seriously. The website notice said, Upon discovery, we took steps to secure our systems, including rebuilding certain systems, and conducted a thorough investigation to confirm the nature and scope of the activity and to determine who may have been affected. The company's review continues, and once it's complete, people directly affected will be notified, they said. Wished it was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. Shields weren't the only healthcare company to have a data breach in America this week. 
ASO Health, a company that provides a suite of solutions that enable health to enterprises, medical providers and the people that support them to exchange, organise and protect patient information, said it suffered a data security incident that impacted its internal IT systems. ASO House is a business associate of Australian Medical Centre. ASO House began mailing letters to 17,400 patients of the medical centre on May the 20th who may have been involved in the incident. ASO House first discovered the incident on March the 8th when it noticed disruptions in IT operations and the company found that patient information was involved on March the 22nd. Further investigation revealed that an unauthorised actor had accessed ASO House systems between December the 25th, 2021 and March the 8th, 2022. The unauthorised actor also copied some files from a backup storage device, including radiology reports. The records contain names, states of birth, radiology report findings and physician names. Importantly, this incident did not occur at the medical centre. The data systems and medical records maintained at the centre were not affected by this incident and remain secure, Aster House stated. We take this incident very seriously and sincerely regret any concern this may cause. Based on the nature of the information involved in the incident, OMC patients do not need to take further action in response to the incident. Meanwhile, in Maine, Aon PLC reported a hacking incident that impacted 28,714 individuals. Aon is a professional services firm that sells health insurance plans, risk mitigation products and other services. Aon discovered the cyber incident on February the 25th this year. Investigators noticed that an unauthorised party had accessed Aon's system at various points between December the 29th, 2020 and February the 26th, 2022. The unauthorised party temporarily obtained documents containing names, driver's licence numbers, social security numbers and some benefit enrolment information. Aon said it took steps to confirm that the unauthorised party no longer had access to the data. Aon immediately reported the incident to and is working closely with law enforcement authorities, including the FBI, Aon said. Additionally, to prevent a similar occurrence in the future, we implemented numerous measures designed to enhance the security of our network systems and data. Aon will continue to evaluate additional steps that may be taken to further enhance the firm's security environment. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Alberta in Canada now and a data breach at Ian Martin PBC, a staffing solutions company based in Edmonton, Alberta. Founded in 1957, the Ian Martin Group initially provided payroll management services, contract management and staffing for companies with employees in the IT engineering fields. However, today, Ian Martin Group has expanded services to include hiring support across a broad range of industries. The group reported a data breach after an unauthorised party was able to access sensitive consumer data stored on the company's servers. According to the Ian Martin Group, the breach resulted in the names and social security numbers of 15,351 individuals being compromised. On June 2, 2022, Ian Martin filed official notice of the breach and sent out data breach letters to all affected parties. In the statement, the company said that on March 23, 2022, the Ian Martin Group detected unusual activity involving the detection of a suspicious file located on the company's computer server. Upon discovery, Ian Martin took the necessary steps to secure its systems and then enlisted the assistance of an independent digital forensics firm to assist in the investigation. Ian Martin's investigation into the incident revealed that personal information of 15,351 individuals may have been accessed or acquired without authorization between March 15, 2022 and March 22, 2022. After learning that sensitive consumer data was accessible to an unauthorised party as a result of the data security incident, Ian Martin then reviewed the affected files to determine exactly what information was compromised. While the breach information varies depending on each individual, it may include names and social security numbers. When we get further information on this from the Ian Martin Group, 
We will transmit to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Remaining with recruitment, but now travelling to New York, Pyramid Consulting Group, a recruiting agency based in New York, specialising in recruitment in the fashion, e-commerce and retail industries, but also serving other industries as well, has suffered a dead breach. Pyramid Consulting Group has more than 30 employees and brings in approximately $16 million in annual sales. Pyramid confirmed that the company experienced a data breach after an unauthorised party gained access to the company's computer network and the sensitive consumer data contained on them. According to the group, the breach resulted in the names and social security numbers of as many as 3,264 individuals being compromised. On June 3, 2022, Pyramid Consulting Group filed an official notice of the breach and sent out data breach letters to all affected parties. In a statement, the group said that upon discovering that sensitive consumer data was accessible to an unauthorised party, Pyramid Consulting Group then reviewed the affected files to determine exactly what information was compromised. When we receive any further update from Pyramid Consulting Group, we will just bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Remaining in New York, a New York-based global business lending company, OnDeck, has disclosed that it has suffered a data breach as a result of an unauthorised party gaining access to the company's computer network. In a statement, the company said that the intruder exfiltrated sensitive consumer data and transferred it to a private cloud storage account. The exposed data includes customer names, social security numbers, tax ID numbers, driver's license numbers, passport numbers, financial account, payment card account numbers, and medical or health insurance information. OnDeck first detected suspicious activity across some of its computers on March 10th this year and immediately shut down access to all affected devices. But three days later, OnDeck confirmed that the attackers had copied certain OnDeck data to a private cloud storage account. On March the 17th, OnDeck's team of investigators gained control over the cloud storage account, recovered the data and shut down access. But it's unclear what the threat actor might have done with the data while it was in his or her possession. OnDeck had filed an official notice of the breach on June the 2nd this year and had begun notifying impacted parties. As always, when we receive any update from OnDeck, we will just bring it to you right here in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. To Turkey now, and Turkish flight operator Pegasus Airlines has suffered a data breach after an Amazon Web Services bucket was reportedly left unprotected. The electronic flight bag information belonging to an unknown number of customers was reportedly stored in the open bucket, allowing access to sensitive information. Turkey's data protection agency has since confirmed that a leak has happened after it received a data breach notification from the company. The statement from Turkey's Personal Data Protection Authority confirmed that there was an unauthorised access to certain information held by Pegasus. A vulnerability that allowed the access was discovered on March 21, 2022 and was resolved on March 24. According to the regulator, leaked information includes the names, surnames, phone numbers, email addresses, titles, flight information of past journeys, flight locations and photographs and signature images of some employees. It's believed that approximately 23 million files were found on the bucket, totaling about 6.5 terabytes of data. It's understood that the bucket's information was linked to an EFB software developed by Pegasus that pilots use for aircraft navigation, takeoff and landing, refueling, safety procedures and various other in-flight processes. Pegasus Open Bucket left data including flight charts, navigation materials and true personally identifiable information accessible to anyone. The bucket also exposed the EFB software source code which contained plain text passwords and secret keys that someone could use to tamper with extra files. This exposure could impact the safety of every Pegasus passenger and crew member around the world 
researchers said. Affiliated airlines that are using Pegasus EFB could also be affected. Turkey's Personal Data Protection Authority has said that its investigations are continuing, and when we have any news from them, we will of course bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Louisville in Kentucky now, and private client services, an independent privately owned broker dealer and registered investment advisor based in Louisville has suffered a data breach. Private client services confirmed that the company experienced a data breach after an unauthorized party gained access to sensitive consumer information through a compromised employee email account. The breach resulted in the name, social security numbers, driver's license numbers and state identification numbers being compromised. On May 27, 2022, private client services filed official notices of the breach and sent out data breach letters to all affected parties, in total some 22,554 people. The company said that on November the 18th, 2021, the company discovered suspicious activity on an employee email account. In response, Private Client Services launched an investigation into the incident to determine the nature and scope of the unauthorised activity. This investigation confirmed that the unauthorised party gained access to an employee email account between November the 4th and November the 18th, 2021. After confirming that the company had experienced a data security incident, Private Client Services then sought to determine whether any sensitive consumer information was accessible through the email account. Upon discovering that sensitive personal data was accessible to an unauthorised party, Private Client Services then reviewed the affected files to determine what information was compromised and who had been affected. While the breach information varies and depends on the individual, it can include names, social security numbers, driver's licence numbers and state identification numbers. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To France now, and on April the 21st this year, France's Data Protection Authority, CNIL, announced its decision to find medical software company Dataless Biology 1.5 million euros following a data breach that exposed health information on nearly half a million people. CNIL noted that the company violated several GDPR obligations, including implementing appropriate security measures entering into compliant data processing agreements with customers and processing personal data according to the customer's instructions. This is a significant decision as it indicates that data protection authorities can find directly data processors who are subject to GDPR for their own violations, separate from those of data controllers. Processors cannot shield themselves behind the controller's failure to comply with or to provide clear processing instructions. To give a bit of background, CNIL launched an investigation against the software provider following news reports concerning a massive data breach that affected nearly half a million individuals whose personal data was processed through the company's software for medical analysis laboratories. Identification data and health data, including medical conditions and treatments, were released onto the internet. CNIL issued its decision broken down into several sections. Under failure to enter into GDPR-compliant data processing agreements with customers, CNIL said, Based on a factual analysis of the processing activities associated with the services, CNIL determines that the software provider should be regarded as a processor on behalf of medical laboratory customers using its services. CNIL found that the company's standard service agreement provided to customers did not contain any of the mandatory data processing provisions required by Article 28, Paragraph 3 of GDPR. The company sought to argue that the obligation under Article 28 to enter into a data processing agreement lies equally with the controller and the processor, and the company should not be held solely responsible for the failure. Senior concluded that the controller's obligation had no impact on the existence of a separate, independent obligation for the data processor. 
Consequently, Senior determined that the company in its role as a data processor should alone be held responsible for the lack of a compliant data processing agreement with customers or data controllers. I think this point's really significant. So what this reading is now saying is that if you are a data processor, it's in your interest to ensure that there is a suitable data processing agreement in place between the data controller and yourselves, just as it is from the data controller's perspective. So if your data controller doesn't ask you to complete a data processing agreement, then you should complete one on your own behalf and get obviously that signed by the data controller. Senior then said, in respect to processing of personal data beyond customers' instructions, in the context of the migration of a software package to another software tool requested by two customers of the company, Senior's investigation found that the company exceeded the customer's instructions by extracting and migrating more personal data than required. The company argued that its customers validated migration by means of after-sale service tickets. However, Senior found that these tickets only provided a description of measures taken by the company's support team and did not provide sufficient evidence of compliance with customers' instructions, nor did they constitute a validation of the company's processing activities. As a consequence, Senior determined that the company breached Article 29 of GDPR, which prohibits the processor from processing personal data except on the instructions controller. Interestingly, Senior's decision does not address the possibility that the company acted as a controller in its own right by exceeding the customer's instructions or not obtaining the sufficient validation regarding the data migration activities. The absence of data processing agreements with customers should also have been taken into account. And on the failure to adopt appropriate security measures, Senior found that the company failed to implement appropriate security measures within the meaning of Article 32 of GDPR, including encrypting sensitive personal data on a compromised server, conducting sufficient investigations following security concerns raised by a company employee in 2020, implementing appropriate data deletion protocols after migration, and requiring authentication from the internet to access the public area of the server. Senior also noticed the seriousness of the violations, the number of individuals affected, and the risks those individuals face due to their sensitive data potentially being in the hands of cyber criminals, warranted a significant financial penalty and the publication of Senior's decision. Senior has not indicated if any customers of the company are themselves under investigation. And finally this week, if you're a regular listener, you'll have heard us numerous times mention things like standard contractual clauses. But this week, the European Commission issued some guidance on the standard contractual clauses as to what can and can't be done with them to clarify a number of points which have been raised by organisations across the EU. The first question they addressed was, can liability under standard contractual clauses be limited? The Commission here clarified that organisations cannot limit their liability under standard contractual clauses towards data subjects or in relation to each other. Any contractual provision in the underlying contract that seeks to cap, limit or otherwise exclude the party's liability under standard contractual clauses risks invalidating the standard contractual clauses as a valid tool for transferring personal data outside of the EEA. However, liability for breaches of data protection provisions in the underlying contract can be limited according to general rules, providing the limitation does not apply to liability arising under the standard contractual clauses. Another question that was asked is, can the text of standard contractual clauses be changed? Parties cannot change the wording of the standard contractual clauses other than to select modules and specific option of text, complete the text where necessary, fill in any annexes, or add additional safeguards that increase the level of protection of the data. These adaptations are not considered to be changing the text of the standard contractual clauses. If the parties change the text of the standard contractual clauses more than that, the parties cannot rely on the legal certainty of the standard contractual clauses. 
It then asked, can several modules be agreed between the same parties at the same time? The Commission said that yes, this could happen. More than one module can be integrated into one set of standard contractual clauses. This is particularly helpful if parties within a group assume different roles for different data transfers, i.e. they may be a data controller under one data transfer and a data processor for a different data transfer. Another question which arose was which data protection authority should be designated as a competent authority. On this, the Commission said that the party should specify the competent data protection authority in Annex 1C of the standard contractual clauses in accordance with Clause 13 of the standard contractual clauses. If the data exporter is located in the EEA, the data protection authority should be authority competent to monitor compliance by the exporter with GDPR. This would be the organisation's lead supervisory authority for businesses carrying out cross-border activities within the EEA. If there are more data exporters, several supervisory authorities may be competent and should all be specified in its 1C. And then the final question was, can the standard contractual clauses be used for international transfers of personal data outside the UK and Switzerland? On this, the Commission said the standard contractual clauses can be used for transfers of personal data outside the UK, but are now supplemented by the UK Addendum to the Standard Contractual Clauses, published by the UK Information Commissioner's Office. With regard to Switzerland, the Commission said that on August 27, 2021, the Swiss Federal Data Protection Information Commissioner confirmed that the Standard Contractual Clauses can be used for transfers of data outside of Switzerland, providing that the necessary adaptations and amendments are made to ensure compliance with the Swiss Federal Act on Data Protection. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a insurance production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.